also remember to uh, keep praying for Michael Larson as he's going to be traveling, and that's a big adjustment for him in making this move right now. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. And we've covered it the first 16 verses. Usually I take these in chunks for a series of commands right here. In these first three at least, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm just taking one message on each of those instead of combining these. And uh, the last time we were here, which was two weeks ago, uh, we looked at the command to rejoice evermore. And then tonight, all of three words. But boy, are they important. Pray without ceasing. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do need you. I ask for your help. Lord, I ask you to control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray that your word would feed your people. I pray for your mercy and your grace. Uh, Lord, I pray this would strengthen us, that it would not be in vain, that it would truly work to draw us closer to you and help meet the needs that are in this room. So, Father, please, I pray that you be glorified and honored and uh, that we'd be obedient to you. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing on their heart that even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We are at the conclusion of this epistle. We will be going right into 2 Thessalonians uh, from here. And uh, again, it's been an amazing book. We've looked at the start of this church and all that they were facing when, when this church began. This is in Paul's second missionary journey when he went into Europe from Philippi. This was the next church established in Thessalonica, then in Berea, then down to Athens, over to Corinth. And, uh, and now he's given several spiritual principles, a series of commands. Each one is very brief, but these are certainly a must for Christian living. These are... These are these commands, these imperatives, uh, um, they are ones that will change your Christian life. They can change how you view life, for that matter. Um, some of these really, even the very, especially the first three, can seem impossible. Rejoice evermore. We looked at that. And to be able to rejoice regardless uh, of what's going on, and we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the importance of that. The reason why he says rejoice evermore, remember who he's talking to, the suffering, the persecution that this church was under. And he still tells them to rejoice evermore. And Paul was a person who lived that. And it does, does not mean at times you won't be sorrowful. He said, he, he talked about that. We looked at those verses that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And so that certainly is, and we looked at how we can accomplish it. Then verse 17 is another one. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, and everything give thanks. We'll get into that next week, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I came across a story of a man when I was studying this week for this message who was trying to accomplish these three things. To rejoice evermore, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And he was, he was going along pretty well about it, and he had to travel across, uh, across a few states. He was taking a Greyhound bus. This was several years ago, decades ago, actually, when it took place. And so he's doing well. He's praying throughout the day. He gets on the bus, and he sits down, and he's glad he got say, a window seat. So he's thanking the Lord and praying, Lord, thank you for the window seat. Get some fresh air while we're traveling. He's all happy, and the bus is filling up and filling up, and the seat next to him stays empty. 
And sure enough, the bus driver closes the door. They're getting ready to leave. And, and, and he thanks the Lord for the extra space he's going to have. He has this. And so he's, he's rejoicing. He's, ha- he's praying. He's thanking the Lord. Everything's going good. Then the bus driver starts to leave. There's a bang on the bus, though. And the bus driver opens the door. One more passenger gets on. It's this really, really big woman. She has a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And she has a little toddler with her. And she comes back and sits down. Her seat is right next to him. He said he got squished against it. The toddler is kicking him. There's smoke in his face. And the bus takes off. And he says, I am struggling to figure out how to rejoice evermore, how to give thanks, and I don't feel like praying. And he said, then the, the woman had fallen asleep basically on him. He said, I am just scrunched right here. And he said, Lord, I'm trying to figure out how to give thanks. I'm trying to figure out how to rejoice. But then a thought hit. And he smiled. He was rejoicing. And he prayed and he gave thanks. He said, Lord, thank you that this is not my wife. (laughs) So today we're going to be looking at the command, though, to pray without ceasing. Prayer, of course, is perhaps the most important discipline of the Christian life. It's the one part of, your, of the Christian disciplines that will be attacked more than any other. Prayer, and of course, your own time in the Word of God. I believe prayer will get attacked even before that, and after those two will get attacked, your faithfulness to church. The devil cannot attack your faithfulness, so come at it from different angles to try and make you ineffective. If it, if it has become a, a discipline in your life, we'll try and make it ineffective. It will always be attacked. The prayer life is so important, it really is a good measure of your walk and your growth and your faith. But what does it mean here to pray without ceasing? It certainly does, it, it does not mean to be praying 24-7 in a continuous state of prayer. The word, the word means literally uh, constantly reoccurring. It does not mean continuously occurring. It's, it's, a, it's a life of prayer, it's a state of prayer. I think it was Spurgeon who said... Uh, 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 prayer in our lives should be like our lungs. Um, you don't have to tell yourself to breathe. Your lungs just do it all on their own. He said that's how prayer should be in your life. It should just happen. Throughout the day, at all times, things come up. What, one commentator put it like this, how prayer should be our life. And, and he was talking about, in context, of praying without ceasing. I'll just quote him directly. He said, there's always this openness that thrusts everything in your life before the throne of God. You hear about a tragedy, someone you know, and immediately your heart rises to God, a petition on behalf of the people who have been severely distressed. You hear about a disappointment, and immediately your heart goes out, comfort those people. I don't think it's required of us that we find a formula to repeat again and again, but it rises out of a heart uh, on a spiritual instinct. Because we know the only source of help is God. So prayer becomes a way of life. We start our day with prayer. We pray throughout the day. We in the day fall asleep with prayer on our lips. He goes on a little bit more. But you're always ready to pray. When the need hits, you're praying. It's it's part of who you are. It becomes part of your life. That's praying without ceasing. We want prayer to be a part of us. It should be a dominant factor in your life, just as I mentioned like breathing is. The fact is, I, I, I can't always preach. The fact is, you know, you can't always be witnessing, you can't always be serving, but you can always be praying. You can. 
Another aspect of this, think about this before I get it. This is still all by the way of introduction. Just think about this, though. Think about a, using just a little bit of deductive reasoning with this. If the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, what else does that mean? The, the biggest one that grabs me that I love is this. Is that means that you can always pray anytime. It's not like it's once a year. We can get to come to God. It's not like once a month we get to approach God. It's not like once a week we get to approach God. It's not even like once a day we have a time to approach God. He's always approachable. You can pray any time, 24-7. It's not just some set time that God gives you a little box. You can pray any time. I think it's interesting that it comes after rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. I mean, if we talked about this two weeks ago, but if you're going to rejoice evermore, uh, you better believe that a constant state of prayer and communion with God will be key. To rejoice evermore, obviously, we looked at that. That means your focus has to be on God. Because this life will be full of disappointments. This life will be full of discouragements. And you have to stay focused on God. And when you're praying without ceasing, guess who your focus is? It's on God. So the times that the sorrow hits, you can still rejoice. So if we're going to be able to rejoice evermore, the praying without ceasing is important. I just want to look at three things here tonight about praying without ceasing. I want to look at the persistence. These are things that, that assist in it, that are going to allow it. Persistence in our prayer, passion in our prayer, and then the pull to pray. Obviously, the text, pray without ceasing, lends itself immediately to persistence in prayer. The truth is, our voice is not essential. You, you can pray, you don't even have to have your voice audible for God to know your prayer. Now, I do recommend this, let me say this, is that when you are praying, uh, if, if you've been in counseling with me, we're going over devotion time, how to set up, I always recommend that you pray out loud. Not for your family to hear, just for you to hear, not for show for anybody else, but in that, that morning time when you have your devotions, you should pray out loud. I speak from experience because that helps you to concentrate on what you're saying. If not, your mind's going to wander. It is. You're going to have, you're going to, you, you have pressing matters in life from the time you get up. You're getting ready to head off to your job. You're getting ready to head off to that. Kids are going to be waking up here soon. You've got the day to prepare for. And all of a sudden, listen, if, if, if you're not going to have that audible prayer, more often than not, your, your mind's going to wander. One minute, two minute, three minute, four minute. The time is just passing by. And then you're like, oh yes, back to my prayer. But when it's audible, it helps you to concentrate and stay focused on it. But the truth is, our voice is not essential in prayer. The position that we pray in is not essential in prayer. The posture. It doesn't matter. Kneel, stand, sit. I, I, think, I think there's a beauty to kneeling in prayer. I do. I think if you can do that, you do that. I think there's a humbling, there's a submission that's there. But the truth is, our posture is not what's essential in prayer. The place is not essential. It's not. But persistence is. I have, I have five children. All of them are unique and different. It's amazing how different each of the personality are, are in my house. Daniel is the oldest. Growing up, he was very neat and orderly, very much the characteristics of an older child. He had some, uh, some leadership things that were coming to pass, and, but very neat and orderly. I remember one time the girls asked permission if they could toilet paper his room. Now, his room was always perfect. All right, it was. And I, of course, I said, yes. Just trash that thing. 
I think we still have pictures of that somewhere. I don't, where is he? Oh, he's ushering, isn't he? He's out there ushering right now. And, uh, but he was neat and early. Then, then uh, um, let me jump to Rachel. Saving the Heather for last. Let me jump to Rachel. Rachel, of course, the middle child, one of the middle children, I should say, was always quiet, studious, diligent, always looking for her place as the middle child. Whatever avenue that was, she was always looking to fulfill that. And definitely the quietest of my children. There was Bethany, the youngest, who knew no strangers. Easy to make laugh or easy to make cry, one or the other. It usually goes both ways with that. And she was the typical youngest child. And, and then, of course, there's Levi, who is, there's a 10-year age difference between Bethany and Levi. So Levi, interesting enough, is demonstrated in his personality characteristics of both an oldest and a youngest child. Um, the neatness isn't quite there, I, I don't think, <laughs> that his brother had. <laughs> um, that, that's not quite there. Um, but he can be very serious like Daniel was, a self-starter, um, very much like, his, like Daniel was. And yet he can also have this sense of humor, this sarcastic, dry sense of humor that is easy to make one laugh like a youngest. Then there is Heather, the oldest of the girls, the first middle child. Um, she was going to make sure she was heard. And uh, she was the defender and the most passionate of the kids. She was always the most persistent one. She did not like no for an answer, but she loved to tell me no for an answer. Uh, when she was r- really tiny, I think we even have this on old those. Remember how big the video cameras used to be? You know, now we just get it on our phone. You know, those things that like sat on your shoulder and actually hurt after five minutes. And uh, so she'd be in her uh, high chair eating and just, you know, eating. And I'm, whatever, 23, 24 years old sitting at the table with her. And I'd say, Heather, I'm going to kiss you. No. Heather, I'm going to kiss you. No. I mean, it didn't matter really what I said to her. The answer would be no. But if she wanted something, if she wanted something, she would ask and ask and ask and ask. It got to the point when I was going to the store, I wasn't taking her. I mean, whatever she found, just, I, no, you can't have that. Please, Dad, please, 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 please. She lived the definition of importunity. I've been there at the times where you finally say, okay, fine, it's, it's yours. We have two parables, of course, in Scripture that deal with this, found in Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18. You can turn to Luke 11. I'm going to read that one. Now, most of us are very familiar with these two. Now, I want you to listen to this. When you think about parables of our Lord, I think this will help you with these parables. It's a story, of course, of the reluctant friend and the unjust judge. Now, these are parables. Now, these parables are unique from every other parable that is given in the New Testament. They are distinct from all others in that they teach by contrast instead of a comparison. Okay? The reluctant friend and the unjust judge are really the exact opposite of God. He's using them to contrast uh, 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 how desperately he desires to answer our prayers. So let's look at Luke 11 here. We'll just probably just read one of these. I don't think that I'll, I'll go to Luke 18. I might, but uh, um, I do want to look at Luke, 5, Luke 18 or Luke 11, verse 5. He said unto them, this is when the disciples had asked about prayer. 
They'd asked to teach us to pray in verse 1, so this is part of that. And he said, which of you shall have a friend and shall belong to him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is in his journey, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, verse 9 is interesting, isn't it? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So here, when Christ is directly asked, teach us to pray, he goes to this parable, and it's one of contrast. This is a man, he's in his bed, he's comfortable. That's what he is. He's comfortable, he doesn't want to leave his bed. His neighbor, though, has company that shows up, and he doesn't have any bread by which to provide uh, uh, this friend of his that is traveling through, which probably means, if you think about it, this is probably a family that's lacking uh, um, the neighbor is. This is probably, I mean, it could be they just happen to not, you know, be prepared that day. But it's very likely this was, this was a family that had need that was next to him. And so he comes to the door. It's late. They're all in bed. And, but, but he is just banging on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And he says, listen, no, I'll, tomorrow I'll give all that you need. Just, we're in bed now. And he says, no, I've got to have it now. I've got to have it now. And, of course, he ends up, because he won't stop asking, he's not going to go away, he stays persistent, he gives him the bread. He's giving it to him, though, in the contrast is this, out of frustration. God does not give us the answer to our prayers out of frustration. He wants the opportunity in our life, he wants the persistence, the praying, the praying without ceasing. But he's demonstrating how... Even when somebody's persistent before, before a lost man who's simply comfortable in his own bed has, has no desire whatsoever to answer his request. Yet even in that case, when importunity is present, he's going to rise and do it. But you understand, God wants to answer your prayers. He desires to. He's using a contrast from the goodness of God compared to the evil of man. How even, though, even man with a wicked heart, when importunity is present, will rise and give. God's reason for persistence is based on His care for us, not frustration. The Lord says, that's what goes to verse 9, I'm not like the reluctant friend. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is seek. All you have to do is knock. And they, and they are in the continuous state. It means asking and asking and knocking and knocking and seeking and seeking. The opportunity is implied in that verse by the verbiage that is used. There's an, it, there's an importance to importunity, to that persistence. Without it, you'll never obey the command, pray without ceasing. The truth is, I think all of us will recognize this spiritual laziness is just killing us. 
We're too busy seeking a life of ease and of pleasure instead of seeking God. The importunity shows such faith. It shows that desire for God, knowing He has the answer. He can do this. It shows trust. It shows a belief in God's mercy. The reason for the importunity and the persistence deals with God's care for us. You stay persistent. You stay with importunity. Persistence is key, but also we see passion, I believe, is important. The fact is, we do what we're passionate about. If you're not passionate about it, do you think you're going to pray without ceasing? No. Duty might take you, if after this message, all you have is duty towards it, it's not that that's a bad thing, but that will only carry you so far, and that's just the truth. I can take you to Deuteronomy where the Lord wants your heart. He doesn't want your service simply out of duty. This is what I have to do. How thrilling is that for the Creator? Wow, thank you. I appreciate that. He wants your heart. He wants the passion that goes with it. And you think about whatever you're passionate about, that's what you're going to do. If you want to be able to pray without ceasing, there has to be some passion to it. There has to be some heart behind it. It's not just going through motions, but it's knowing you're going before Almighty God. Commentator Lightfoot said this, It's not in the moving of the lips that the essence of prayer consists. It is in the elevation of the heart to God. It's not your words. It's your heart. The Lord desires us to have a strong heart for Him, a heart that's a fire, a flame for Him. Jeremiah spoke of his heart burning within him, dealing with a passion for God. Think of David's word, as the heart panteth after the water, but so my soul panteth after thee, O God, Psalm 42. It drove him to prayer. It's better in prayer to have a heart without words than to have words without heart. That was a quote from one of the commentators. Now, number three, what pulls us to pray without ceasing? What is it that motivates prayer? What is it that motivates it? Like, I, I just dealt with desire, passion in your prayer. And some of you may say, well, that, that just doesn't exist in my heart right now. That's a reality. We, we, have, we have a wicked flesh. Just because I say the words, you ought to have a desire for it. You have a heart for it. doesn't mean, poof, it's there. I understand that. Well, then that's where you use the word of God like a mirror. You come before him in prayer and you're honest before God. Lord, I will do this and I'll start it off even as a duty if need be. But of course, I know you don't want it to stay that way. Neither do I. Lord, give me the... And, and, and you've heard me say this many times when I'm talking about the Word of God, different Christian disciplines. Give me the want to want to pray. Give me the want to want to read. Give me the desire. Lord, what's hindering it? What has the passion? Because passion is powerful, but remember, passion is narrow. It is. It's narrow. So you ask, Lord, what has that? So 
So what's going to pull us, what's going to prompt us, if you will, to pray without ceasing? What is it that motivates unceasing prayer? What is it that motivates a heart that, that it has that, it, it is like their lungs, it's there. It's not that to be told to do it. I mean, when something happens, they're praying. When they see something, they're praying. When a need arises, they're praying. It's not like, ah, I forgot to pray about that. It's part of them. It's just who they are. I'm going to get just a couple of these things, four things, and, and, and then we'll go home. First off, and I believe this one is the most important, I believe it's the greatest motivation really in all the Christian life, not just in prayer. And that is a genuine desire for God's glory. Sometimes we get confused on God's glory and glorifying God. You know, I, I, for me, I, I can relate to that a little bit because of uh, um, when I got saved and then the church without a pastor, so there wasn't much growth taking place. And I was the first one saved in the family, so the home was not a Christian home I'm in. And at this time was when religious TV was taking off. So, little did I know, I remember, because I was saved, I started a desire for the Word of God, even though we're just going literally just to a Sunday school class, and not even close to every week, but many weeks skipping, and then go home because there was no other services. And, but, but I would turn on to some of those TV preachers, like Jim Baker. You remember Jim Baker? Jimmy Swaggart. I didn't know the difference between Pentecostal and Baptist. And all. I, I didn't really have a clue of much of that then. But much of what I saw looking back now, they were, they were out there. They were nuts. I mean, glorifying God. Sometimes you think glorifying God's running the aisle, raising your hand. Glory to God, glory to God. Flopping around. That's not glorifying God at all. But one of the greatest motivations is a genuine, genuine desire to go, for God's glory that will lead you to that unceasing prayer life. It's where you desire in your heart to see God glorified. To see God work. It's the one who wants to see God's glory put on display. The one who prays so that he can rejoice when God answers. Knowing that God can do this. I mean, they want an answer not just because they might have a need, but more than that, it's, it's just so they can say, look what God did. So that you know how it is in those moments when God is just glorified. I remember one of the sweetest ones when it came to prayer in my life, and, I, and I've told this story before, and, and, and there's other times too, but it was always that first suit. Not having that, that so keep that in mind. I mean, I, it, was, it was just a couple weeks before Father's Day, I did not own my own suit. I'm preaching all the time at nursing homes or wherever, but I still never owned a suit. I'm in the Air Force. I didn't have no money. I didn't have any money. I didn't have no money for a suit or anything. So I'm in my closet just a Sunday morning, piecing together an outfit. And I said, Lord, I would love to have a suit by Father's Day. And go on my way. It's the Monday before Father's Day. I pull in for church visitation. The song leader, Earl Faulkner, pulls in next to me. And we both get out of our car. He said, wait a minute, I got something for you. He goes to the back of his car. He pulls out a suit. He goes, I thought you could use a suit. I mean, do you understand that at that moment, that prayer came right to my mind? God was glorified right then. I mean, in my mind, to think what He just did for me. It's when you have a desire to see God working in your life, where that's what's motivating you, God's glory. 
that, that will lead you to prayer all day long because you know you want God to work. You want it to be Him. You don't want it anything else. You don't want prayer as your last resort. You want anybody else to get glory for it. Lord, I need you in this. Lord, I need your wisdom. You want to see Him do something. This also demonstrates with this motivation is great faith. Because that person has that great faith knowing God will work. There's confidence in that prayer. It's that desire to have that all moment when God answers. Just to be like, wow, look what he did. Number two that we also see in Scripture is not only God's glory as a motivation for unceasing prayer, but also fellowship with God. You know, it's, it's, it's the time when you get alone and you can talk with God. You know, it's like you've been there, that, that sweetness that you have. When you're there, and remember I was reading a, I was reading a, it was a fiction Christian book called Safely Home. And this is going back, I don't know, 20 years now. And one thing that had grabbed me about that book was it dealt with a, a, a Chinese man who had been converted while he was in university, I believe Harvard even, in the States, was the subject of the book. And he goes back to China and just faces enormous persecution uh, because of his conversion to Christ. And even though he had this degree from an Ivy League school, it had nothing in China because he was a converted Christian and he took it serious. And an old classmate who claimed to be a Christian and went to visit him. And so the story of the book basically focuses on that visit of this carnal, rebellious Christian who visits this friend who is suffering for Christ while he is doing nothing. And in his house, though, he had one place. They didn't have much because he couldn't really find good work, so they're very impoverished. But they had one nice chair, but nobody was allowed to sit on it. Because, you know, that's the Lord's chair in our house. So I remember drawing from that, using that in my own prayer life, and I left that. To me, it was just a powerful section of that book. And just trying to, as in my mind, going back to the verses that talk about me going before the throne of grace. For the longest time, I would have those thoughts, and I think the devil loves to attack our prayer life. He does. So I'd have crazy thoughts that used to always sit during prayer time. Of all the other people that are praying right now. And think about it. Right now, when I'm, when I'm praying, when, I, when I'm going to be praying tomorrow morning, there's probably, who knows how many millions and millions at the exact same moment that are praying. That used to bother me, actually. <laughs> That's a good thing that everybody's praying. It is. But what's amazing about God, what I use from that, even that story, is just, I just picture just myself as if it's just me. Going before the throne of grace, before the king of kings. Because that's exactly how God makes it. He is, he is that powerful. He has that much sovereignty. He, he is that big. That even though tomorrow, you, June, you and I may be praying at the exact same time. But before God, it's just like it's just you or him or just me and him. He has that much time for you and that much love for you. He wants you to pray without ceasing. That brings us into a fellowship with God. Going back to like verses like Psalm 42.1, what I've already quoted with David. It's the heart panneth after the water, but so my soul after thee, O God. 
Paul. You see that in Paul's life. Desiring that, that fellowship with God that led him to prayer. Thirdly, another motivation, of course. This is more of the obvious one. And that is anytime there's great need. I believe this one should be third on the list. I think the ultimate one would be for you to simply desire to God get glorified in your life. But the truth is, great need can lead you to prayer without ceasing. It can. When you have great need in your life, and all of a sudden you realize how dependent you, how, how dependent you are upon God. When there's some basic need, maybe, that's not even, being met, not even being met in your life. When there's a problem you just can't seem to solve. Maybe all of a sudden you find yourself, no, I've got to find work. I've got to find better work. I need this job. This is what's going on. You're going to find yourself constantly bringing it before God. Sometimes it's great need that pulls us to that place of unceasing prayer. Many times it's those moments of great strain on your life that motivates you to prayer. So there'll be times that God does even put us through times of need to get us back to that place of the Lord trying to be merciful in your life. Trying to get you to refocus, remember what life is all about. Me. And sometimes it takes great need in our life for the Lord to bring us back to that. I believe if revival actually, actually hits our nation, which it might, I don't know when the Lord's going to return. I have no idea. But I do know this. For our country to turn back to bow itself before God... We, we can think of, to, to, we have to pray, don't we? Pray and seek His face. Turn from our sin. What I believe is going to motivate that in our nation isn't all of a sudden a desire for God's glory. We're pulling farther and farther away from God. That's somebody who's drawing closer to God where that becomes the motivation. Do you understand that? Fellowship with God, that's certainly not the direction of it. But I do know this. God can cause dire circumstances to hit where basic needs cannot even be met. Where all of a sudden, that professor at that college or that engineer has no idea how to feed his family. There's just not a road open. Sometimes God can use great need to pull the people back to Him. Or how about this one? I almost made its own category altogether, but I'm still going to keep it under need, but maybe I shouldn't. Because I believe the Bible separates this need, and that is wisdom. I believe that can be its own pool uh, 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 for unceasing prayer and how much you need wisdom in your life every day. You don't know what decision you're going to have to face tonight. You have no idea. You don't know what decisions you're facing in the morning. You don't know what's coming up. You need wisdom. Parents, you have children that you're raising we're raising children right now in, a gener in this wicked and evil times that we're in with so much pulling at them. And, and not just with the absurdities of the world, that is too, but even within churches. You need wisdom. Sometimes, parents, it's not enough just to say, because I told you so. Because I told you so. That might create that discipline because you're present. The problem will be when you're not present and they have no passion for what's right. The last thing that can pull us into 
prayer, an unceasing prayer. This one does either. It'll either destroy your prayer life or draw you to your knees, and that is sin. That is sin in your life. Think of David in Psalm 51. As he's praying unto God as a result of his sin. When that conviction hits, and you have God's Spirit that indwells you. And He's, in other words, the Creator Almighty, God's Holy Spirit indwelling you. And that conviction hits. You know what a lot of times happens? You just drop. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. Sin is one that will pull you back into a place of unceasing prayer, or it will destroy your prayer life. One or the other. Let me finish with this. Of course, we're dealing with these three different P's that I'm giving that help leads us to a place to pray without ceasing. Persistence in prayer, a passion with it, and allowing at least one or two of these things to pull you into a life of praying without ceasing. We could see it in different men's lives. I think David is one. I do. I think David's prayer life was pretty impressive. We can think of verses like Psalm 55. We sing it. I can't remember what verse it is. 7, 17. Evening at morning and at noon will I pray. I believe he had a life of unceasing prayer. Were there, were there times he stumbled through that? He did. But there, then there was also the times when that, when that preacher hit and that preaching hit. It convicted and brought him back. Another one is Daniel. You think of Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Remember I said when I back when I was 24, 25 and I had decided to memorize a verse in each book of the Bible for the book of Daniel was Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went in his bedroom, did a four time, opened the windows and prayed before God. It deals with him, even though he knew the king has just signed a petition that if I pray, I will be executed. And, and it's just amazing what he did. You know, he could have went and prayed behind a couch. He could have went and prayed behind his bed. But then he would think, then he would know, everybody would know, would think I caved to the king's unlawful petition. And so he did just like he always did. I believe that was a man that prayed all the time. The wisdom that he had. There's examples throughout the Word of God of these men who live those lives of prayer without ceasing. If you do want God's touch and God's blessing on your life, whether, whether you're a mom, a dad, you're in your career, you have a ministry, a Sunday school teacher, the key to that blessing, to having that, is when you do get to a place where it's not simply out of duty, as I said, but when you're, you're it's, it's like you're breathing. You're a person of prayer. Lord, I need you. Help. Lord, with this, I mean, it's just constant in your life. We need that. We need that, the persistence of it, the passion of it, and those different things to motivate us or pull us. With heads bowed and eyes closed.